I am so thankful for these studies the last few weeks that we've been able to explore. We started with a message called, But God, But God, really a message of intervention for those who are ready to quit. Then we heard a message for those who need to refocus their eyes, their sight on what's really important. That message was entitled, For God. And then tonight, I want us to look past the life that we have here on this earth. And through scripture, we will gaze as far as we can into heaven. And we will see a message entitled, To God. And specifically, To God Be the Glory. To God Be the Glory. And this is really a message for all believers Every man, every woman, every child, every teenager who is a believer, the church, this is for all of us, to God be the glory. Psalm 29, verse number 2, give unto the Lord the glory, do unto his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let's pray. Father, for a few minutes as we break bread, as we come into your presence, God, to study your word, to be encouraged, God, for our lives to be changed from your word. Father, we rest completely on you. God, we depend on you tonight, God, for what you're able to do in hearts and in lives, Father, through the word. Lord, I pray that tonight you would hide me behind the cross, Father, that you would give me the words to say that you won't said. Father, I pray for liberty to preach in this place. God, that the word would penetrate the most calloused heart. God, I pray that you would refocus us for just a few minutes. God, we're in the middle of our week. There are bodies here that are tired, minds that are wandering on so many different things. And Father, now as we prayed last night, we pray that you would prepare hearts to receive the word. God, that you would prepare minds, God, to be focused. And Father, that Jesus would be lifted up And that, Father, tonight as we leave this place, we'll say, oh, what a Savior. To God be the glory. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen and amen. Psalm 29, here's a few things you want to know and understand about this psalm. Specifically, if you study out the context, the history of this psalm, and everything that's there for us to understand, we know and we understand that this psalm has all the earmarks, has all the uh, identifiers of very old or even some of the oldest Hebrew poetry. And really, if you explore this psalm, Psalm 29, it's a hymn. Uh, This song is a song written by David. It's a song from his heart. The first two verses uh, apply really to the angels that are in heaven, but it also applies to our lives and our hearts as Christians, that we are mandated by God in the relationship with God to give Him glory. Uh, This psalm really reminds us of what we've been talking about a lot lately, that God is a sovereign God. Uh, When we really understand what that word sovereign means, that He is the supreme authority, that He is the supreme dignity, there's nothing outside of the capability of who God is. God is not unable to do anything. God is able to do what he wants, how he wants, 
when he wants, the way it pleases him to do it. That is a sovereign ruler. That is a sovereign deity. That is a God of great control and power. And that's what David is really identifying tonight. Another reminder of the power and the glory, the majesty of this God. So if David is challenging all of us, he's challenging himself in this song, this psalm, this hymn, what is the glory in this verse? What is the glory that's due to God? What is the glory that we give him? We hear it all the time. We give God glory. We give God honor. We give God praise. I think I pretty well understand what honor is. I think I have a good idea of what praise might be. But really, what does the Bible mean when it says, give God glory? What is this glory? I'm glad you asked. We're going to explore that word for a better understanding of what is due to God from us. Due from our mouths. Is this glory something that we're born with naturally that we give back to God? Is this glory something that we can acquire with intellectual ability? Is this glory something that we can come up with in our own understanding? In other words, can we come up with something from our hearts or from our emotions and say, this is the glory that God desires? Thankfully, the Bible is very clear about what this glory is, and it gives us an understanding of what God desires when he says, to God be the glory. This word glory, really we've got to back up, understand the Hebrew, understand the meaning, the etymology of this word, what the root of the word really is. It's got a very, very specific meaning. The Hebrew noun is kabod, kabod. It indicates heaviness. It indicates gravity. It indicates importance, honor, and respect. Heaviness, gravity, importance, honor, and respect. This is the word kabod that we find here in our Bible. The Aramaic equivalent of this noun kabod it has that same dual meaning of heaviness, weightiness, respect, and honor. But the Aramaic understanding of this word has another layer, another annotation for us to really embrace. This word is the one royal majesty. This word kabod in Aramaic has the meaning of the one capital O-N-E, the one royal majesty. And here it is again, more evidence that God is the sovereign power, the one authority, the one dignity of our universe. And then finally, the Aramaic has something else. It's like a cherry on top of your Sunday, gravy on top of your biscuit. And the reason you want to know it is because it'll bless you. It'll give you more teeth when you read your Bible and specifically this verse and specifically the word glory in this context. It means the singular splendor of God and its consequence on mankind. The singular splendor of God and the splendor of our God, its consequence on mankind. In other words, the consequence of taking in the glory of God, the supremacy of this deity, uh, when you take it in, when you see God for who he is, when you understand in your 
capability as a human being, what this sovereign power is, what this one authority is, what this one dignity is, when you in your human capability begin to see through scripture the power and the dignity and the majesty and the glory of this God, this word has to do with the consequence of what it does to you when you behold that glory. This is the consequence of you beginning to understand who God really is. Being in that awe, feeling the weightiness of who God is. Understanding how small you really are in comparison to how big this God is. When you fill out just how incapable you are of changing things in this world, but then look to the capability and the uh, power of this God, the consequence of God's glory in man's life. That's what this word is talking about. Where do you compare each person here tonight under the sound of my voice to the glory of God? Where do you compare in the light of who he is? When you see who God is, when you observe who God is, when you even understand that he would allow us access to him, not only that he would send his son, but that he would allow us a relationship with him, what does that do to your heart? What wells up out of your heart? The consequence of beholding his glory is this word, kabod. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. So remember, the first two verses here in Psalm 29 have to do with a charge to the angels who are around the throne day and night, who are worshiping him and praising him, sinless creatures created by God. And they're giving God glory and honor and praise 24-7 all the time. Glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. David is saying not only do those angels have an obligation, not only do those angels have a desire, not only do those angels do that uh, 24-7 around the clock, but mankind who has been exposed to the kabod, the glory of God, now are in debt to give back to God glory. If you have seen Jesus for who he really is and you have accepted him as Lord and Savior, if the Holy Ghost of God has come by your way, drawn you in, convicted you, and you've responded and Jesus has saved you, then the Bible says that you owe God kabod. You're in debt tonight. Every day, every moment of your life, you're a debtor to God. You owe him, the Bible says, Kabod, and it's not from a place of uh, pride that we are able to say that. It's not from a place of haughtiness we're able to say that. The Bible's clear. The Apostle Paul said it so well. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to the person of Jesus Christ. I love him. I embrace him. And I am comfortable with the fact that I owe him something. Because of what he's done for me. Because of who he is. The perfect master. The perfect Lord. The perfect sovereign. The God of all creation. The God of great power. There's no one on this earth that can dominate or change or bend your God over into a position of submission. That is the power and the glory of this God. And because he has given you access to him, then we all stand in debt of him. David said you owe him Glory. Every Christian owes God something. The first thing you owe him 
is glory, kabod. So before you give God glory, stay with me here. Before you give God glory, you have to see God, embrace God, and understand that God is in himself glorious. It is not the glory given from men that make God glorious. God's glorious all by himself. If God would have never looked man's way, if God would have never sent Jesus to this earth to die, God could have remained on the throne in complete control, in complete power, never looked at man and still have been glorious. God is glorious by nature. God's glory does not go up and down. There's not a knee-jerk reaction to send more glory to God when the storehouse depletes. God is always glorious. If he's not glorious, he's not God. And if he's not always glorious, he's not God. That's who God is. Part of being God, part of the definition of our God, part of the attribute of our God is that he is holy. And that he in himself is glorious. So if this God who is that great, that powerful, that sovereign, the one dignity of the universe who is perfect and sinless, if that's who he is, and if he really allowed mankind away through him by the death of his son, then how much do we really owe him? I submit to you, we owe him everything we have. We owe him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, but it's more practical than saying it. It's in a life. But before we can get to the practicality and the practical application of giving God glory, you've got to see through scripture, not through man's understanding or interpretation, some sort of emotional wildfire response. You need to see the gloriness, the glorious of God from scripture. This perfect book upholds the deity. This perfect book points to the glory. If you want to know who God is, he's there in scripture. If you want to understand who God is, go to his word. It was divinely inspired. It's holy. It's perfect. There are no mistakes in God's word. That's what makes the Bible an emphasis in your life. That's why Satan wants to keep you away from studying and knowing his book because there's power in his word. There is understanding in his word. If you get a hold of scripture, you'll get a hold of the fact that God's glorious. If you hide that in your heart, then when you live your life and go through all the things that life brings you, you'll live it in a way that you understand and that you bow to the glory of God. Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Number one, he is the King of glory. He is the King of glory. Acts 7, verse number 2. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken to the glory of of God, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon. Number two, he's the God of glory. 
Number one, he's the king of glory. Secondly, scripture says he is the God of glory. Thirdly, he is the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of glory. Number four, the Father of glory. Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Number five, he is the Spirit of of glory. First Peter 4, 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. He is the spirit of glory. And then lastly, and well, this is where we'll part for just a few minutes because it's my favorite one in all, out of all of them. Number six, He is the excellent glory. Jesus Christ is the representative in body on this earth for us to look at through the gospels, through scripture as the excellent glory. 2 Peter 1 verse 17 through 18. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased verse number 18 and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount now if you know anything about me if you know anything about what I preach and how I preach I'm absolutely in love with the story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And this one I left for last because it's my favorite and I get to preach tonight and this is the one I want to preach on, the excellent glory of God. This is who Jesus is, the excellent glory of God. Remember what the transfiguration of Jesus is. This is all God and all man. He goes up on a hill to pray. He takes only three of his disciples with him, James, Peter and John and there in that moment on that mountain Jesus changes his countenance is visibly different and what James and Peter and John get to behold is the deity of Christ in its full capacity Jesus let them see it Jesus let them be in it all that glory and all that power should have killed them instantly but God was wanting those Jews to see something on that hill that they would never ever forget Jesus is who he said he was. He is all God. He is all man. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Rose of Sharon. He's who he said he was. And those Jews got to see it. The transfiguration of Jesus is an incredible story. And as we see here, Peter is telling in 2 Peter what he saw on the mountain. And he gives us a little picture window into what happened on that mountain. He says that God gave Jesus glory. God the Father gave to his son Jesus glory. I submit to you that God knew full well what was coming just a few days down the road that his son would have to go to Jerusalem, that he would submit to the will of the father in the garden that Jesus would go to a fake phony trial, be executed at the hands of the Romans and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and that God would have to turn his back on his own son 
God knew that. Before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God knew when his son was sent what the price would be. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that had to happen after the fact. It wasn't a surprise to God. God knew before Jesus left heaven, son, if you go, you got to become sin. And they knew before they even made the deal that man would have hope that Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless son of God, would become my sin on what should have been my cross. The wrath of God poured out on an innocent man who did not deserve to be there. But God the Father knew before he gets there, we're going to have us a prayer meeting. We're going to go up on top of that mountain and we're going to have revival right here in front of these three Jew boys. Imagine being James and Peter and John who are Jews through all their whole life. Not too old in their life, I might add. Younger men who have followed the master. And now they get to behold something that you and I have never seen, but one day we will. One day we'll get to see what they saw on that hill, on that mountain. I submit to you that that is the same Christ we'll see in heaven. If he's in his full dignity, in his full power, in his full authority as all God on top of that mountain, that'll be the same Jesus that you and I lay eyes on. You see, Jesus never stopped existing. When Jesus got back to heaven after the ascension, Jesus Christ, the person, he exists forevermore. Praise God, that's a whole other message that we won't get on. But God knew that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that he would have to turn his back on his son. Or he's not God. He knew this. God had to grieve in glory so that his son, who was the glory, could die and be separated temporarily from the glory so that one day you could be full of the glory. And spend an eternal life in glory with God. Praising and worshiping him in the full capacity of glory while you shout and rejoice, glory, glory, glory. It's all about the glory. But if we read this correctly, before Jesus goes to the cross, before he becomes sin, before the most dark moment in history happens, the most terrible crime ever committed on top of Golgotha where God's son was murdered, where he willingly gave his life before all that happened. This excellent glory on the mountain would come to pass. And in this revival meeting with Moses and Elijah and James and Peter and John and Jesus, a voice comes out of the cloud. It's the voice of God the Father. Imagine being on that mountain and experiencing all that they saw and heard. And God looks at Jesus, his son, who's preparing to go to Jerusalem to die and says, son, before you go to Jerusalem, before the crown of thorns ever hits your head, before one whip hits your back before those nails are drove into your hands and to your feet. 
And, and before they play games, before they scorn you and spit in your face and pull your beard out and laugh and mock at you, before all of that happens, I'm going to give you on top of this mountain a down payment on the glory that's to come. And even before the resurrection morning, on Sunday morning when Jesus in all glory and all power self-extricated himself from that tomb, God said before any of that happens, I'm going to give my son glory and honor. That's powerful, ladies and gentlemen. Get a hold of that, ladies and gentlemen. That God the Father would give to his son before he went to Jerusalem glory and honor. I'm going to give you a down payment on the glory that's due to you. How do you know this though? Pastor, how do you know that's what this is? How do you know that God was glorifying him before the cross? How does this have anything to do with it? I'm so glad you asked. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Look at Luke chapter 9. Go all the way down to verse number 30. This is the story of the transfiguration. I'm so thankful that I got an excuse to talk about and preach about the transfiguration tonight. 9.30, Luke 9.30. And behold, there talked with him, being Jesus, two men, which were Moses and Elias, who is Elijah, who appeared in glory. And here it is in verse number 31. And spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. God the Father, God the Son, Moses, Elijah, James, Peter, and John had a revival meeting on top of that mountain. The memo was glory. The presentation was given by God the Father and the meeting notes are found in Luke 9.35. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Don't guess, don't think twice. This is the son of God, the Messiah I have sent, the Holy One of Israel, who are deliver you from your sin. You can believe upon him. You can trust him. He is heaven sent, heaven born, holy of God. And you can trust everything he says. Hear him, God the Father says. Before he gets to the cross, before he gets to Jerusalem, God the Father gives Jesus glory. If God the Father gave his son Jesus glory, then what do you think do of you? If God the Father recognized his son and what was getting ready to come, then what do you assume in your role? How much glory then is due of us? This is wonderful and I love studying the attributes of God, the power, the glory, the divinity, how powerful God is. I want more of that in my life. All it does is give me more confidence stronger faith, deeply rooted in God's ability. And you know what it starts to do, Brother Ken? It starts to take my hand off the wheel a little bit. I realize just how out of the control I am and how in control he is. It makes me worry just a little bit less. If you start seeing God for who he is, it is a wonderful cure for anxiety and depression. It'll help you. In this crazy, sin-sick, dark world that is cruel and evil at its best. When you get a hold of who God is and how powerful he is, it's really hard to understand that if you have access to him and that if your home is with him one day, it's really hard to be depressed. You say, well, that's a little out there. It takes a whole lot of faith. He'll give you that faith. 
if you ask for it. Hide his word in your heart. But what is the practical application of this? Really? I'm thankful for who he is. I'm thankful for all that he is. I'm thankful for his power, his glory, his dignity. But for me, as an everyday walking around, riding in the car, going to work, raising kids, doing life, what's the practical application? How am I to give him glory? I'm glad you asked yet again. I'm going to give you just a few things, four or five at the most, just a practical application of how you can give God glory, and then we'll go home. Number one, you can give God glory by confessing your sin. Confessing sin. Uh, When we confess our sin, when we confess our inadequacies in light of who God is, we put on display in our lives the glory of God. When you admit that you are a sinner, when you confess of your faults, you look into heaven knowing that there's nothing you can do in your own power uh, to fix the problem. He gives him glory. That is how you can give him glory. We talked about it last night at our men's uh, Bible study and prayer time at 9 o'clock. We talked about this. We talked about how saved people are not perfect. We still have flesh. We're still attached to this corrupted uh, tabernacle of doom. One day, that'll come to an end. We'll be glorified, those of us who are saved, those of us who are believers. No more sin, no more temptation, no more pain. Praise God for that. But meanwhile, if you do go against God's word, if you transgress against him, if something in your life happens, a word comes out of your mouth, an action befalls you, and you let God down, then your sin that you just sinned, be very, very mindful of this, has already been forgiven. Your salvation is secure. If you've been saved, you're always saved. There's nothing you can do to replace or to remove the love of God. I'll be Dwight Parrish's son for the rest of my life. I can go to the courthouse tomorrow and change my name, but it will not change the fact that I am his son. It's a DNA blood connection I cannot shed. The same with your salvation. It is perfect. It is a finished work. You are saved. You are sanctified. And one day, praise God, as we said a minute ago, you will be glorified in heaven. But if you were to sin, and I promise you, there's a good opportunity to, if you live in this life, to fail him. The confession then you need is not for the forgiveness of sin. The the confession you need is for the cleanliness of your conscience. That you have confidence with God. That when you go before him, that there's nothing between him and you. Now listen, this will drive some people crazy. If you're working for your salvation, this will drive people nuts. That's where grace and mercy have a head-on collision with man's understanding. You cast yourself at the mercy and the grace of God. Now, I will add this. Save people. There's something on the inside that will want to be different. It does not give you some radical ticket to sin and live like hell day after day. That's not what a Christian is. Read the Bible. Something on the inside changes. If we believe what the word says, that the old man is dead, the new man's there, something will check you. Something will cause you to know, not of yourself, that that is wrong and God doesn't approve of it. I worry about anyone who claims Christ but lives as a wild animal and never feels the weight and the shame of their sin. That's not what we're talking about. This isn't an open season on sin. 
This is godly people who know who they are and they see the glory of this God and they know that when they hurt their relationship with him that they need a clean conscience so they can have absolute confidence with their God. Secondly, they have to forgive others. If you want to live practically in giving God glory, number one, you have to confess sin, your faults. Number two, you have to forgive others. Our God is a forgiving God. If you've been saved, then your sins have been forgiven. That's the greatest thing about you if you're saved here tonight. Psalm 133 through 4. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. When we forgive others... We are proclaiming in our own lives, in that own situation, the compassion and the love and the eagerness to forgive someone. Not because they deserve it, but because God forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And if you want to give God glory, boy howdy. Especially in a church, when you have somebody mad in another person, whether they're right or whether they're wrong, and you've got somebody that's more in love with being right with God than they are being in love with being right. And they go to that person and they say, you hurt me, you let me down, but I forgive you and I'm going to forget it and I'm going to move on. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to grow together. That will change a church and it will give God glory. You hold it down deep in your heart and you refuse to forgive somebody, then how can you have confidence with God? If he's going to cast your sins as far as the east to the west and someone just happens to aggravate you and you won't forgive them for it, what does that say about your Christianity? What does that say of what you believe of God and his capability to forgive? I promise you, you want to be forgiven a lot better than that when you stand in heaven. You want full forgiveness. That verse in the Old Testament where our sins are behind God's back so that when he turns, he cannot see it nowhere. No matter where he looks, there's no sin, there's no sin, there's no sin. And when he does get a glimpse of you, all he sees is the royal red blood of his son applied to your life. That is forgiveness. And if you want to give God glory, then look at the person in your life who has hurt you the most. And in Jesus' name, forgive them. And watch what God does. That gives God glory. Number three, you got to trust God. Trust God. Trust him. I know we live in a difficult era. I know it's a dark day. I know that the world is changing. Our country is changing. It infuriates me some of the things that are being said in our country. Washington, D.C. ought to be ashamed of itself. I'm not going there. But I'm going to tell you something. Either we believe God is who he said he is or we don't. I don't watch Fox News or CNN to find out if I can live in fear today or not. I don't watch Newsmax or scroll on Instagram to find out if I have to be afraid. No, no, no. I go to God's word to find that God is a trustworthy God. And in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the change, in the midst of all the sin and transgression against God as they rip apart this republic that God gave us, as all that happens, either we trust him or we don't. And if you want to give him glory, then stand in the face of all that darkness, stand in the face of all that sin, stand in the face of all that transgression, watch him do things that you never believe would happen, but still say with confidence, 
confidence. I trust God. I believe God. He's faithful. He's able. He's got me. I'm not out of control. He's not scared. He's not afraid. I trust God. That gives God glory. Trust him. Trust him. Don't wake up afraid to live and afraid to die. If you've been saved, you've been given the key to it all. Live in the trust of God. Romans 4.20 notes that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Trust him to see you all the way home. He's able He's capable. He promised he would never leave you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he will never leave you? Do you believe that he will never forsake you? Do you believe that nothing will ever change with him because of that being who he is? If you believe that, then trust him. Well, I've been praying for a very long time. The request on my heart's been nailed to the cross so many times and God is yet to move. Honey, let me remind you that you are looking at this life through a glass darkly. You can't see all the workings of God. You don't know what's in the heart of somebody. You don't know who in your family won't come to church with you but is tuned in to camera two right now watching and the Holy Ghost of God is doing some work and he's digging and he's beating off the callus off that heart so that one day that family member will be sitting in church with you worshiping God, glorifying God. You can trust God and give him glory. Even when it doesn't make sense. I got to get off of trust. Number four, produce fruit. You can give God glory by producing fruit. I'm not talking about our good friends in Henderson County that make apples, that grow apples. I love those apples. I love the apple cider that they bring us. I love those apple fritters. Amen. But produce fruit. Number four, produce fruit. This comes out of the mouth of our Lord and Savior in John 15 verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. The fruits of the Spirit Basically summed up in this. I love what Jesus said. If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, don't let it be a Facebook post. Don't let it be something you do once a month. If you love me, be faithful to me and obey my commandments. Produce fruit. It's living a life that adorns God with our time. It puts his attributes on glory. When I display one of the fruits of the Spirit to someone who does not know Christ and in my heart of motivations, I perform an act of kindness, I show compassion and I show mercy to give God glory, that's one of the greatest things you can do. When you give a homeless person a bottle of water, make sure you say, God bless you in Jesus' name. You're not doing it because of some good that lives inside of you. You're not doing it to make yourself feel good like you've got on a pair of little fuzzy slippers. The only reason your heart was turned to give that little homeless person a bottle of water is because there's something living on the inside of you that's new, that does not belong to you and it's the regenerated spirit of a Christian. The fruits on display give God glory. Number five, you can give thanks. Give thanks. Be thankful for what you have. Let me say that again. Be thankful for what you have. 
Can I tell you what you have that sometimes we forget we are? We were born in the United States of America. You say, I wasn't born here. If you've got citizenship, you have won the virtual lottery. This is a blessed country that God has protected, that that generation of World War II, those faithful people who carried the load and prayed and sought God, the women went into the factories to make bullets and bombs and Jeep tires and all the things that we needed. Our men went to war and they fought off the Nazis. They fought off the Imperial Japan, the greatest generation ever to live. God kept us. He saw us through. We should be speaking Japanese on the West Coast and German on the East Coast, but God in grace and mercy saw this country through. And if you want something to be thankful for, be thankful you were born in the United States of America, that you live in a place where you can have a Bible and come to church. Be thankful for what God's given you and it gives him glory. You say, well, our world's deteriorating before our eyes. Did you get to come to church without stopping and showing your papers? Then give God glory. Well, I live on a rough side of town. At least you have somewhere to live. Give him glory. Be thankful for what he's given you. You've got a church. You've got a pastor. He may not be much, but he loves you. He wants God to do something in your life. Be thankful for what he's given you. Be thankful you had access to food. Be thankful you had access to a warm bed. Be thankful you had access to the Holy Spirit of God when you got up this morning that he was waiting to greet you with love and mercy and that it pursued you all day long. Be thankful. Psalm 50, 23. Whoso offereth praise, glorify me. And to him that ordereth his conversation, all right will I show the salvation of God. Whoso offereth praise, glorify me. Lastly, you can pray. You can pray. Like giving thanks, prayer shines the spotlight on so much of the attributes of God. The fact that you can pray. The fact that when you pray in Jesus' name, that you have access to the advocate who is sitting at the right hand of the Father who takes the pleas and the petitions of the believers and literally takes those to the ear of God the Father who created the universe. When you pray, that's who you have access to. That's something to be grateful for. It's something in which we give God glory. When I pray, I say, God, I can't, but you can When I pray, I say with my mouth and my actions, God, I believe that you're able to intervene. There are some prayers in your life, listen to me with all the love in my heart, there are some prayers in your life that have not been answered because you haven't asked. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of God's omniscience and his omnipresence, God's, all of his attributes are moved when the Christian prays. All of that splendor and all of that glory. Listen, it doesn't go up and down in levels. All of God's power is always there. God isn't always uh, one thing and sometimes another. God is always loving in his full capacity. God is always merciful in his full capacity. God is always forgiving In its full capacity, God is always angry at sin 
in its full capacity. And when you pray, you have access according to his will to the full capacity of who God is. That's prayer. And when you pray, you glorify God. John 14, 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and this is where we close. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Trinity Baptist Church, if you want to glorify God in your life, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, the fruit, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. To God be the glory. It's not some sort of mechanical, robotic recital of special words. It's a lifestyle, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says that God is due that glory from you. My question to you is, are your payments called up? Or is the bill past due 30 days, 60 days? Has it been two years since with intention and motivation of heart you've given God glory? You say, well, I come to church. Yes, God is thankful for your attendance. He's more interested in your motivation. He's more interested in your heart. He knows why you're here tonight. He knows why you come on Sunday. He knows what's in your mind and your heart as you sing the songs. He knows. And sometimes we can look like we're giving God glory, but on the inside, we're doing the polar opposite. We're robbing God of glory. And the way we rob God of glory is when we put ourselves above him. How I feel, how I look, how I think, how people perceive me. And when that becomes more important than giving God glory, which remember at the end of the day, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's your purpose. You weren't here to occupy a blue chair. You weren't created to make money. Your purpose in this life is to glorify God in all that you say and all that you do. Let's stand all over the building. The altars are open if you need to come pray. I know it's about time to go. But if you need to pray before you leave tonight, I want you to do so now. The altars are open. I'm going to pray. If no one comes, we'll be dismissed in the love and the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day. God, we do say thank you for who you are, for what you are. God, for the glory, the majesty, the power. God, the sovereign ability that you have. Your omniscience. God, it's incredible just to begin to take in part of who you are. And God, tonight our church stands in awe. Father, from a heart of sincerity, we say glory to God. Glory to your name. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. 
Thank you for stirring our hearts. Lord, thank you for the Holy Ghost of God, the comforter that came. Lord, you could have set this up that we didn't have any comfort. But God, in love and in mercy and in great glory, you sent us a comforter, the lover of our souls, the peace in the midnight hour, the lamp unto our feet, the holy word of God. And God, to you we say, to you be all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. We love you tonight. We thank you for all that you are. We pray for our church family tonight, the ones that are bereaved, the ones who are heavy-hearted, God, the ones who are struggling, God, the ones who have sickness of body, who are facing surgeries and doctor's appointments and chemotherapy, God, the ones who are sick with nausea every day of their life, the ones who are looking for their crossing even now into the land of Beulah. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the hope of heaven that one day we will be glorified. Lord, I won't have to know what it is to let you down. I won't have to know what it is to disappoint you. But God, I'll be allowed, God, to glorify you in full capacity. God, I owe you everything. So much glory from my mouth is due your ear. And Father, I'm afraid that for the rest of my life, I'll never be able to say thank you enough. I'll never be able to look past the nose of humanity and see who you are till we get home. But until that time, God, I want to glorify you in the way I live, the way I preach, the way I love my wife, the way we serve each other. We thank you for the glory of God. It's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, and glorious name we pray. Amen and amen.